In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Most Dallas Cowboys fans have not heard of Tony Richardson. In fact, neither have Jets, Vikings, and Chiefs fans when he played for those teams. (coughs) And for good reason. Tony was often paired up with other running backs to help them succeed. He would block for them so they could gain yardage. In his 17 NFL seasons, he played with some of the best running backs in the league, as you could imagine. And interestingly, in 2001, he finally got his chance to be the lead running back. But instead, he went to his teammate, at that time Priest Holmes, and said, I'm going to let you carry the ball, and I'm going to continue to block so that you can achieve more yardage. And Holmes, you know, thought, well, maybe this is kind of a a test or or something. Maybe he really doesn't mean it. And he said, you know, I I was amazed. He he really actually cared that I succeeded. He called me up after ESPN Sports Center and said, I saw your highlight reel, and man, you looked good. He said, I think he thought he was more excited about what I was doing than even I was at times. Um, And he didn't just block for players. He'd inspire them. He'd coach them. He'd spur them on. He was really what you'd hope for in a teammate. Finally, somebody, I think in an interview, kind of pointed to this and asked about it. And he said, you know, I just can't explain it. It just feels right for me to help someone else achieve glory. That just seems like the right thing for me to do. It's wonderful when someone like Tony knows their purpose and they just embrace it and live into it. Um, They're not trying to vie, compete. They just, they know their lane and they're happy to be there. Um, And I'd like for us to reflect on that. What is our purpose? Uh, Not as Dallas Cowboys fans tomorrow, but um, as (laughs) Christians, what is our purpose and how do we actually stay in that? How do we live into that more fully? I'd like for our case study not to be Tony, but John, John the Baptist, who we encounter a second time this week um, after we encountered him once last week, but this time in John's gospel. Let's open back to verse 29 of chapter 1 in your Bible and look at this theme of, of pointing to Jesus in all aspects of our lives and a couple lessons that John leaves us along the way. Interestingly, uh, this theme of knowing yourself, knowing your purpose and embracing that um, is something that precedes verse 29. Um, If you were to back up a little bit, that's the question, that's the flurry, at least as John's gospel captures it, um, with John and those who are coming out to see him, to be baptized by him in John's account. They ask the questions, of course, first, John, are you the Messiah? No, he says. So then are you Elijah or one of the great prophets? And he shrugs that off as well. And so then the question comes, well, then what are you doing? Why are you here baptizing people? And he repeats it as we capture it in our text here, but ultimately that he is preparing the way for Jesus. John knew who he was. And it crystallizes where we pick up in verse 29 in relationship to Jesus. And that's, I think, a wonderful thing. In verse 29, when Jesus quite literally enters the scene in John's gospel here, John points to him and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John, right out of the gates there, captures Jesus' purpose. We see the end from the very beginning moment of Jesus stepping into John's gospel. 
Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We heard that in Exodus 12. The lambs that uh, were slain so that the angel of death might pass over. The lambs that would atone for the sins of the people of Israel. This is the lamb, the definitive lamb, who once and for all, even from the very beginning, they don't see it yet, but we do, right? Uh, Who would take away the sin of the world. Whose blood would be shed so that all who come to faith in him would have death pass over them as well. Not uh, this point in the angel of death as in those days in Egypt, but eternal death that comes with us if we are separated from God. And so we see the purpose um, of Jesus. John points to it right there in the beginning and then defines himself in relationship to Jesus in verse 30. This is whom I told you about. This is who I told you about, right? Um, This is why I came. I didn't know him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. He ranked before me because he was before me. Harkening back to the prologue of John's gospel, as you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we see all of those images there. But I think what's wonderful to reflect on for our purposes here is John clearly knows who he is, and he clearly knows who Jesus is. And conversely, not just knowing who he is, but um, let's use this word telos, knowing his purpose, his end, his reason for being. And by knowing that, he's also clear on who he's not. He has no Messiah complex. He's not trying to fill the shoes of some great prophet. He even shrugs it off, although we would contend that he was the last prophet. But he doesn't even embrace that himself. He knows who he is, and he's comfortable being right there. Not just comfortable, but he embraces it with everything he has. I think that's something for us to reflect on. As, as Christians, um, what is our end? I would contend that our end, our telos, is first to come to faith in Jesus. That's step one. The rest of the Christian life is to be conformed in the likeness of Jesus, to be made as Jesus is. And that comes with the cooperation of our will with the Holy Spirit, who we'll look at in a moment, um, is part of this story as well, right? So that means that if that is our end and our purpose, then we embrace that wholeheartedly in all that we do. And what does that look like, not just philosophically, but practically? Well, that means that if that is our end and that is our purpose as believers, that informs our decisions, it informs what we do, it instructs how we lead life. Um, We look at the decisions we make, the things, even benign as they may be, and we, we invite the Lord into those for direction, for clarity, for purpose, and ultimately um, to not be deformed by the will and the ways of the world, which tell us, pursue your own ends, whatever you decide they may be, on any given day, as long as they bring you joy. No, we know that that won't ever bring us joy. The only thing that will truly do that is if we are conformed more fully in the likeness of the one who fashioned us in the first place. So that comes in big ways and smalls. It means that we prioritize. If that's our end, we prioritize the days around that. Not just worship on Sundays, but any myriad of Bible studies in the week. There's even an app for that these days, uh, for daily prayer that you can do in the mornings and in the evenings. It means that we um, know that that is the, the chief end, and so we form those nearest us in our household, our kids and our grandkids towards that. and We teach and instruct them in that as well. I was reminded of this in the seemingly benign in our household this week. Somebody came home 
in, in a bit of a uh, flurry trying to figure out where something was they needed for school the next day. Um, we thought it was under their bed in a shoebox, um, but it wasn't. And so after we tore apart the bedroom and the closet trying to find it, um, the Lord thankfully got a hold of me and reminded me this was a teaching moment. So we sat down on the couch and I said, let's pray about that. So just a really simple, Lord, help us find what we need for school tomorrow. In the midst of that, the Lord did remind us that it was dad's fault. Um, <laughs> in cleaning up after Christmas break, in the flurry of things under our beds, I'd swept up a lot and I'd missed something we needed. And so, remembering that, I said prayer was answered. The bad news is that's dad's fault and I'm sorry. Um, can you forgive me and, and I'll write your teacher. So, um, a wonderful moment, right? We, we must see the end and, and inform our steps towards that end. But it's not just about us in Jesus. It's not just about us and our households in Jesus. The, the, the plan, if that is our end, is far greater than that. And that's what we see if we move on uh, for just a moment here back in verse 32. There we read, John bore witness. <clears throat> I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. Again, John repeats this. I didn't know who it was at this time, but I knew who I was looking for. He who sent me told me to baptize with water, and he on whom you would see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So here we see, beautifully, the connection between Gospels. We read that last week in the baptism of Jesus. Here we see the why uh, in John's Gospel. That was the sign that cued John in to this is the Messiah. And so John's testifying all these things. Uh, you ask why I came out. My whole job is prepare the way point to the Messiah, get out of the way. So I, I didn't know who he was. I saw that when he rose out of the water. It fulfilled what the Lord showed me. The Spirit descended, remains on him. And so I've seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. It's the most clear Christological statement of who Jesus is, right from there. In case you don't catch the behold of the Lamb of God, John pulls it forward even more explicitly. This is the Son of God. And so, amidst all of that, I'd like for us to reflect on the bookend of verse 32 and 34. John, bearing witness to these things, again, in verse 34, I have seen and bear witness to these things. So John is, is testifying, he knows his end, he knows his purpose, he's living into it, um, and as he does so, he has a story to tell. And so do we. Let me use that really kind of not-so-fun, scary word, testimony. Um, and I know we often shrink back from that, but it's, it's a lot easier than we make it to be <clears throat> as Christians. If we're truly living and walking and embracing and being conformed in the likeness of Jesus, we'll have a story to tell. We will. It comes in small ways. We might have more patience than we did because we actually seek the Lord in prayer before we rush into things. Um, maybe our anger is lessened as we learn to pray for those that frustrate us. Um, whatever it may be, we, we have a story to tell. And we know this. As we get to know people, classmates, colleagues, um, neighbors, sometimes when we know them long enough, not sometimes, almost always, those conversations will move beyond the surface, cowboys and weather, um, what's going on in our community. People begin to open up. They talk about their kids, their grandkids, where their home is, you know, what their hopes are, those sorts of things. Those are the cracks that we get to seize an opportunity. But we must be ready. If we're not prepared, when those come, we, 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 that's where the, 
the angst is. But if we're daily forming or reforming habits to be formed in the likeness of Jesus, they come naturally. Um, they can be our own story as someone shares about, you know, their isolation. And you say, you know, I, I really struggled with kind of making friends and connecting with those in this area too. But, you know, I found this place called St. Barnabas, and those people just will not leave me alone. <laughs> right? Maybe that's not our story yet. But maybe it's just, you know, I, I know this story of someone um, who, who really struggled with isolation, too, for quite a long time. What got them through it was remaining in God's Word and pressing into Him in prayer. You can tell the story of the uh, temptation of Jesus just as kind of a, a rolling in your own way. So we find ways to find those pockets, but I think where the, where the fear is is we're often, I'd argue, maybe not as prepared. It's not that we don't know what to do, but the preparation comes in the day in and the day out, and then it just rolls off naturally. And then the fun part is seeing where we close uh, back in verse, uh, where are we, 35. Um, this is great. The next day, the next day. So after all of that, John's disciples are with him. John says, behold, the Lamb of God, this is the Son of God. But it's the next day that two disciples, as John picks up his discourse again, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's when Andrew and the other unnamed disciple go, ah, okay, so we need to follow him. I mean, think about it. We think sometimes the, 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 the disconnect for us is if I share and nothing happens or what happens and I take that risk. I mean, look at this. John, I mean, lays it out bare. And the disciples don't get it until the second iteration, the next day. And the next day, finally, as John's like, again, behold the Lamb of God, two of the disciples, light bulb goes off, and they go follow Jesus, and their narrative picks up. They look to Jesus, hey, where are you staying? Well, come and see. Then we're told, oh, well, here, one is Andrew, who brings about this guy we know as Peter, who looms large for the rest of the Gospels. And it begins because John knows who he is, testifies to the one who he is called to point to, namely Jesus, the Messiah, and then from that, God does what God does and picks up the rest of the narrative. So the point is this, that as we share the good news with others, or as we just share our story with others about what God is doing as it's interwoven, um, that testimony will turn people to him. You may not always see it. Um, it could be, again, the, sow the sowing of seeds, the tilling of ground. Maybe you do see it, and you don't see all the people who came before that, that led to that point where you see it. But the point is, our job is to be faithful. The results are God's. We're in a culture that's so performance-driven. Forget the performance. God will take care of that. Um, all we've got to do is be faithful to one piece, which is point to him in word and in deed. And so as we do so, um, that, that happens more naturally than we might think. And we mustn't forget that um, if folks wanted to just know about Jesus, learn about Jesus, now more than ever, they could do that. I mean, they've got a computer in the palm of their hand. They can find all they want out about Jesus. They need to, to see him and see what that looks like. It reminds me <clears throat> back in the days before we had Google Maps on our phones. Um, remember when you'd have to ask for instructions? And you'd ask someone, and you knew the difference between people who really lived there and those who didn't. Um, it wasn't just, you know, here's the road, go up a half mile, 
you know, Siri, turn in 2.1 miles, and you'll hit this road, and off you go. But locals, there was more behind it. So growing up on, you know, the southwest side of town here, if you asked us how to get from, say, TCU downtown, um, we'd say, you know, as you, as you turn out and you hit Hewlin and you're headed towards 30, there's a great bagel shop on the left. All the locals know about it. It's Yogi's. Um, go, go grab a sandwich at Yogi's and a cup of coffee. Coffee's not great. Sandwiches are. Grab one on your way. As you make your way down Hewlin Street, stay in the right-hand lane because if you don't, when you get to Arlington Heights, when those kids pour out like locusts at 12, you're never going to get over. Um, so make your way over, and then when you get on, hop on 30, stay on the outside lane. It'll tell you to take Summit, but don't do that. Go, to Lane, go down Lancaster and Cherry. It's easier to get into the heart of downtown. I mean, we know it. We live it. I can see every quarter mile in my mind's eye. Um, what people need is for you to be the map to Jesus. They need you to be the map. They can read about him all day long. They can find the instructions. They can find Bibles in every language on the face of the earth. But you're the map that points them to Jesus. That's a pretty high calling. But if that's our end, if we really believe what we proclaim week in and week out, that forms us, then we have stories to tell to point others so that it forms them in the same. That's what this season of Epiphany calls us to. That's why we're on this repeat of Jesus entering the scene. It's that time when Jesus is made known to the world, and it's a time when we are called to reflect, to do the same, so that others might come to find their end in him just as we have, so that all the world might come and see that there is no other name under heaven and earth by which they may be saved but the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.